Hello and welcome back everyone. This is Mohamed Saleh and I am your host for the second season of the Global Migration Podcast, Geographies of the Heart. This podcast is supported by the UBC Center for Migration Studies. Hello everyone and thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm hosting two incredible women who come from the other side of the planet. We are going to hear stories from Kurdistan. We are going to hear stories about bravery. We are going to hear about resilience. And I get very emotional when I think about it, but the ability to survive against all odds. This episode, we are going to hear a prepared written piece by each writer, and then we are going to have a conversation about it. The start is with Ava Homa, a recently published Kurdish author. Ava. Thank you so much for having me in your program. So I'm going to read a small section, two pages of my novel, Daughters of Smoke and Fire, which came out in May 2020 by HarperCollins Canada. This story is a story of a sibling, Leila and Chia. They both grew up in the Kurdish region of Iran. Leila is interested in becoming a filmmaker. Chia loves to become a human rights lawyer. His dream is to bring the perpetrator of injustice against humanity to the International Criminal Court. But one day he disappears in the streets while protesting, and now it's Leila's responsibility to have to find him. While she is doing that, she puts her own life in danger. The segment I'm going to read for you is a section where Leila and her father are alone together at home and they're cooking a meal together. This is a rare opportunity where for the first time ever, Leila's father is willing to share a little bit of his imprisonment story with his daughter because a lot of Kurdish parents believe that not sharing them would be sheltering their children. And so they do not pass on all of these stories, but in this specific night, after cooking together, he warms up and starts speaking. That night, Baba did not turn on the television or the radio. Instead, perhaps inspired by my soup, he went out and shortly after came back with bags of groceries. He taught me how to make a mouthwatering dish of ground lamb, celery, carrot, eggplant, potato, and tomato sauce. We substituted lentil for the ground lamb. Despite the embarrassing scene earlier, his temporary bachelorhood had put him in a celebratory mood. Did you know why, this, why they call this food maladas? He blew on a steamy spoonful. Meaning a clergyman would steal it? Why is that? They say if something is really good, it will be immediately stolen by either the police or molas. I laughed. It's sad. He looked at me with surprise and tasted the food. I know, but I like this little act of rebellion, naming a food that way, Maladis. His taste burnt his tongue. I chortled louder. He threw his back with glee, showing the empty space where his molars should be. The food was ready. We relished every spoonful. Another teenager was tortured to death today. Only 15 lashed for cursing the supreme leader. It was a test but I didn't take the bait. I redirected. How did she learn this recipe from Daegyan? Everything she made was unmatchable, he lamented. She was a saint. Every time I had a nightmare, she was there ready to soothe me back to sleep. Oh, you had a lot of nightmares as a child too? I had no idea. 
Baba told me he had witnessed a massacre when he was seven and how the murderous frenzy of the soldiers still hunted him with rejuvenated potency in scenes that shifted from muse black and white motion picture to a colorful three-dimensional real-life experience. Chia and I had grown up hearing whispers about that day, the day that had defined my father forever. It was his inheritance, his agony, and I longed to share in his burden, if only to understand what had led him down his path of activism to the imprisonment that was still a chain on our family. He'd only been seven years old, Baba swallowed, saying he couldn't give details of the day. Instead, he shared how he still relived it some nights. In the nightmares, he was there again. A horrified witness to the parents, shrieks and pleas, soldiers, mirth, the growl of the deadly tank, the prisoners, silence, tears. Raising his eyes to the sky, Baba would beg for divine intervention, for an end to the cruelty. Instead, he'd find himself in a hole buried up to his chin at once, a terrified spectator and a panicked captive. He would wait for God to pay attention. He would wait until there was no more waiting to be done and the threat of the tank was upon him. As the tanks rolled in, his inability to scream would awaken him. Grandmother would emerge with a calming hand in a sky blue dress, looking like a fairy who had entered through the window. Outside, a truck's tire crunched the snow. Stunned, I studied Baba's stoic face. I swallowed, wanting to say something, but I didn't know what. That he was a gifted storyteller, that I understood him well because I also suffered even though my exposure to genocide and incarceration was secondhand. In fact, perhaps that was the problem. My imprisonment and motherlessness was figurative, his literal. Did you have that nightmare in prison too? I finally asked. I summoned patience until he spoke. Ordinarily, a morning interrogation would be followed by a flogging in the basement, he told me. But one day, his guard was called upstairs and Baba had to follow. Baba raised his bruised face as they climbed the stairs. He then saw a row of hanged prisoners framed by the window that opened onto the prison courtyard. Hearing of execution is one thing, but seeing those limp hooded bodies, he couldn't finish the sentence. Baba saw before him his martyred brothers, uncles and friends swaying slowly in the breeze together, their heads tilted to one side, ropes snug around their broken necks, hands and feet bound tightly together as if they were hanging from the sky itself. The guard pulled Baba along and before he really knew what was happening, he had shoved the soldier against the wall, kneeing him in the groin with all his strength. The guard collapsed, but the others swarmed Baba, raining down blows. When they were done, he was thrown into a solitary cell. That was when Baba, who until then had been the quietest and the most introverted of the inmates, started beating his bloody head against the wall. As punishment, he was kept still longer in isolation. His tiny cell had no ventilation. For months, he sat alone and picked up the scraps of plaster that fell from the ceiling. I bit the inside of my cheeks to swallow down my tears 
Sitting across the dinner table was a man who had paid a massive price for hoping and trying for a just world, who had fathered and then neglected me, who wasn't aware that the rage he harbored within him had killed all other impulses in him, chewing at the core of his compassion before spitting it back out. And here I was, sliding down a similar inevitable path. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ava. I really appreciate you reading this excerpt from your book. I could feel your warm emotions trying to relay to us stories from Kurdistan, stories from the struggle of the Kurdish people and the resistance and the prices that has been paid in the search for freedom. Now I'm going to move to Shanga. We're going to hear a written piece that she's developed as part of the project. I am really grateful for both of you for coming today and being the bearers of wisdom. Shanga? Thank you so much for having me in this podcast and so happy to be here with all of you today. I am reading my story here. 10,523 kilometers. It's a long way, much farther than most people can imagine. That's the distance from my home in Kurdistan, northern Iraq to Canada. Even the time is very different. When it's daytime in Canada, it's the middle of the night in Kurdistan. Sometimes it really does feel a world away. I was a journalist in Kurdistan and I had to leave everything in my life there. Life there wasn't safe anymore. I was active in defending women's rights as a journalist. So being a woman and journalist at the same time is not a safe job while you talk about honor killing, FGM, and child marriage. Living was the toughest decision I have ever made. I will never forget the night when I had to say goodbye to my family. I still feel their love and hugs mixed with their tears. I carry that picture around with me but I had to flee and start my new life with my husband. Now in Canada, I have started to write that story during my challenges and settling as a newcomer. Mentoring and receiving mentorship from other newcomers has meant a lot to me. We can understand each other's pain, weak and strong points and desires, and it makes you feel less alone. Coming to another country is not easy. It's so hard and it puts you in a position where you feel powerless. You are not enough and like you always want to be like others. But actually it's not what you want. The starting again from zero is actually the biggest responsible part of that. The day you arrive is a day for reborn again and work on making a new version of yourself slowly takes you apart. That's where you really have to work hard to find the sacred door to start over, which is so hard and complicated. My story started like that. After following my dream to be a writer again here in Canada, I had to search and make connections to find my first door and enter to that war that I was seeking for. It was the hardest thing to start writing and sharing my own story and my journey. 
but I learned that is very valuable to my life and other newcomers who want to share their journey but don't know how to. It also helped me to be able to work with other projects as a mentor and sharing my experience with other newcomers to share my writing experience with them and help them with their editing. Also, it's a good way to the Canadian people to understand more about being a refugee and learn about all our pains and patience. Mentorship helped me start over again, starting with the shoe project and other writing initiatives made for newcomers. And now, through the chapter I am writing for this book project, Stories from Newcomers to Canada. I am so glad to see that we could get mentorship from all the coaches who really worked hard with us to be able to express our feelings and share our stories to make a better connection as a newcomer. We also got writing tips from amazing authors like Ava Homa. She inspires us to continue writing and learn from her journey and stories in her new novel. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I uh, thankful to you, Shanga, for sharing your story. And I really liked the note of mentorship and its importance. And it's a perfect segue to my next question. I want to focus on the importance of mentorship. And mentorship, in my opinion, is a two-way street where there is a mentor and there is a mentee. And I think we're lucky today that in this episode, I think I can talk to both. And I would like to hear from both of you, how did this help you both? Ava, from a mentor's perspective, please share with us, how did it happen? Thank you so much, Mohammed. I liked what you said about how this is really a two-way relationship. So for me, mentorship is important on two levels. One, on a political level, because I understand that as a minority writer, as a migrant writer, as a writer who writes on the margin of Canadian literary world, I have paid a huge price for being unknown, like as Kurdish people, as stateless people. You're also ignored in a lot of Middle Eastern studies and a lot of you know, Iranian studies, Iraqi studies, Turkish studies, exactly because you're not on the map, you don't have a country. And so I have carried that burden of representation, which has been really hard. And I see how easily I get overlooked because people aren't familiar with who we are and what our plight has been. So when instead of having only two or three voices, we have several voices. When I see Shanga also adding her voice to mine and we work together, we represent Kurdish women together, we are able to offer a richer representation and also we kind of divide that burden. I'm really sick and tired of either being overlooked or being talked about. You know, when they talk about Kurdish women, they talk about as if we're third person, as if we're not here, as if we don't have a voice, as if we cannot talk about ourselves. And that will be over by the time more and more of people like Shenga will share their beautiful writing and their beautiful stories. On a very personal level, as I pointed out, the process of writing is being part of the creation, being part of growing as a writer, and seeing some of what you want true in someone else and helping them maybe not suffer as much as you did as someone who got here a few years before that is extremely enriching and rewarding. Writing is really isolating. But if you share your writing with someone, then it's not just something in your head. You're no longer alone. When your work is ready, 
most importantly, when your work is understood, that's when this creation, this communication happens. So to sum up on both a political and a personal level, it's, it's a complete joy and it's really rewarding to be able to work with younger writers. Thank you so much, Ava, for talking about the importance of mentorship from a mentor's perspective, from the perspective of someone who is given. Shanga, if you can tell us about your experience as someone who's receiving this mentorship, how did it look from your end? The importance of mentors cannot be overstated and judgment. When you're ready and satisfied to learn from another writer, you can be inspired by hearing from them. You can come out from your stuck circle. It really stretches you, connects you, develops your ideas, opens your mind. And most important thing for me, after getting feedback from all the mentors I had since I, since I started writing again here in Canada and specifically with this book project, it was feeling my power again for me and hearing my silent voices after my mind and body getting back to each other from a long process of being a newcomer and working hard to find your direction in a new country. If I talk about writing mentorship, for example, between newcomers, which I had in that uh, project, I think it's more than professional and personal development for me. While there are many similarities in our stories and deep feelings of the new life and journey, which came through the same situation, whether it's a refugee or immigrant, always have a story to tell about so many things, such as living, coming, or rebuilding again in our new country or in this new country. It's always same journey, but in a different experience, I feel. So the most important thing of understanding each other's pain, weak and strong points and desires in this relationship between newcomers in the field of creative writing make you to don't feel alone. And I really been affected by this point. Thank you so much, Shanga. What I love hearing is how both of you have this sense of solidarity for one another and how it reminds me of how amazing Canada is where it doesn't matter if you came here yesterday or if you came here 10 years ago or if you were born here, we all help each other. Ava, I'd like to get back to you and continue our conversation. One thing that you mentioned in the excerpt from your book, how a lot of the times Papa wouldn't really be open to share about what happened. At the very end of your text, you said something about how as a result of this complicated relationship between Papa and his history, you inevitably ended up on the same road that led him for a promise of freedom, but ended in unexpected ways. How did it translate in your life? You brought up a very good point about the importance of storytelling and sharing what happened to you in a way to your next generation that while you're not traumatizing your kids and as an author, as you're sharing this story, you don't want to traumatize your reader. But there, it, these are also really important stories that need to be told, need to be told and because we want, the reason we're telling stories is because we're looking for that connection and that understanding. 
And obviously, if we read more of each other, there will be less war, there will be less injustice. What happens is that when we don't hear about a group of people, they don't become mysteries we get excited about. No, when a group of people are unknown, they're easily dehumanized. They're easily even demonized, right? So this true storytelling that we can make this connection. It's also important to see yourself reflected in the stories that your parents tell you or the stories that you read when you go to school, the stories that you read for pleasure. The problem with being a Kurdish woman is a lot of times we don't see ourselves reflected in literature. And that's really difficult because it's like, Canada is this huge mirror and I look at it and I love its literature and I consume Canadian literature on a daily basis. And I rarely ever see another Kurdish woman reflected in, in Canadian literature, right? So that is that really creates this hole, creates this vacuum that disempowers me as a reader, but also damages Canadian literature in terms of not being able to reflect the diversity that actually lives inside Canada. So it's also really easy for someone like Baba. He's consumed by pain, right? He's someone who is still outraged about what happened to him, how he had to witness a massacre, how, how he fought for justice and then was tortured for it. Another advantage to storytelling is that we can move beyond this pain, right? Because once I hear your story, I hear your pain, I can share, I can feel it, then you can move beyond it, then you can find the strengths within you, then you can find the resilience. And you find this space to now listen to my story and understand my pain. Because if you're consumed by your, your own pain, there's no room for growth, right? So what is Baba missing out on is he's becoming a shell of a human being because he's incapable of that sharing and that communication. Thank you, Ava. And by sharing, we can process. And when we process, we can move on. I love the fact that you talked about the vacuum that exists, the need for voices, the need for people who have willingness to change, but they don't know how. I'm listening to you saying this and thinking about the other person that is with us here today, Shanga. I want you to talk to us, Shanga, what is the advice you would give to someone just like you who want to pursue a career in writing? Try to be creative beyond fears. Sit down and start writing with a short story. Short stories can really help you to express your feelings and write about what really sparks you while you are starting. What you really live with to be able to express your feelings and put it on the paper. So it's important for writers to write about the deepest feeling that they have. As Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book called Big Magic, uncover the strange jewels that are hidden within you. I think it's so true for someone who wants to, to write, to be a writer and try to find that treasure inside you and work on it. If you want to be a writer or write about something, you need a courage in the same time to be creative, to be a creative writer. You need a courage to be creative. When courage dies, creativity dies. Reading can encourage you to writing. Learning from mentors is really important and vivid. So take their feedback very seriously. When any mentors give you a feedback on your piece, take it seriously and work on it very hardly because there is something that you can learn from and you find out about 
your talent, your creativity, and write about it. Again, don't be afraid, even if it will be failed. So learn from your mistakes. Failing is a big part of our success and making connection until you find your direction. So just see it in that way that you really can find your direction through all that connection and failing. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. Being a former refugee myself, hosting another former refugee like you, I think what we are doing here is telling other people that, yes, you can find yourself. And the way, just like you put it, is by never saying no. If you learn even the little thing, it will be great. And just the fact that we are here on a podcast years after arriving to Canada, talking and reflecting about it, it's like what Ava said. We were able to tell the story in order to put it out there and move beyond it. I really love the, the inspiration that both of you brought to our episode today. I'd like to go back to Ava to talk about the same topic and advices that you will give to young voices out there. I want to say two things. The first, my first, uh, I want to first address people who have arrived here dealing with these questions, which Shanga gave answers to. You're not alone. It will get easier. Just hanging in there. If you've started writing your story, be aware that you will face a lot of rejection and racism. It's there, but at the same time, do not let it dishearten you. Your job is to see how racism works against you, but also to not give in and not give up, right? Instead, find a way to face it and to break it. So by, because by raising awareness, by sharing the story, by giving this heart-to-heart resuscitation, we can overcome a lot of biases and ignorances. And my, I'm asking the audience, whoever is listening here today, to please make it your 2021 goal to read several books this year by Middle Eastern women. Please, not books written about us, but books that are written by us. Please hear our voice. We're more than what media tells you. Media tells you it's just about bombing and women being victims. We're a lot more than that. You have a lot of important stories to tell you. And what you get by reading this story, this authentic own voice stories, is that you expand your own horizon. You grow as a woman. When I go read stories written by Africans, by Asians, by different groups of people, I'm not doing them a favor. I'm doing myself a favor, right? And then the last thing I want to say is that once our views of each other changes, then that affects who we vote for. That affects the letters we send to our representation. So as our global understanding of each other grows, it can change global policies that wouldn't actually create this imbalanced world where we live in. The latest statistics says 80 million people in the world are displaced today. Maybe there is a time that we start putting an end to that. And that comes not from policymakers, but, but by us expanding our horizon and being strong enough to change these global policies slowly, but surely. Thank you so much, Alpha. Shanga, I'd like to ask you this question. What is one common myth about Kurdistan that you want to debunk? One common myth about Kurdistan is that we are fighting for freedom since I actually have opened my eyes and realized that I am a Kurdish. There's Kurdish proverb says, no friends, but the mountains, which expressing our feeling of material 
abandonment and loneliness due to our history as a stateless ethnic minority in the Middle East without faithful allies. I want to link that with, with a time when dads, uncles, and brothers of all of us as a Kurdish were fighting in the mountains. There were always women stand beside them with their support and fight for our rights, our uh, martyrs' bloods, which which is really uh, important for me as a as a Kurdish journalist. But the media and the world just talk about the battle or the politician side of all these things happened to the Kurdish. No one talks or shows the reality of life of being Kurdish. It's a long time that we became a symbol of war, victims, and insecurity. But there is not just that side. And the thing I want to talk about it as a myth is a Kurdish woman who has been a big part for our success in the past till now. So I always want to actually to explain how, how we fight for women's rights and work against honor killing, FGM, and all of the difficulties women are facing over there. But there's another side of our women who are a voice for achieving equality, a voice for defending other women and very active girls that, that really think about their future and their nation's improvement. It's actually not like just because we have our killing, we all live in that level uh, of life. So no, we, we want to stop and raise our voices to say that Kurdish woman has as many achievements through all the Kurdish history. So we want to get more gender equality, fight for staying as we are strong and independent to show a powerful picture to other young Kurdish generation in future. Coming from the Middle East, so for me, doesn't mean that we all following one specific way of thinking and force us to be that that way. We have many liberal women who write and focus on what they really believe and improve. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ava. Thank you, Shanga. I really appreciate you sharing some inspiration with us. On behalf of our listeners today, I'd like to thank you. You have made my day personally, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. This is Mohamed Saleh, and you were listening to episode two of the Global Migration Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and thank you so much to our special guests for joining us. This podcast was recorded over Zoom on the Coast Salish territories, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salatooth nations. This podcast exists thanks to the support of UBC's Center for Migration Studies. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to support the book project behind this podcast, there is a GoFundMe campaign link in the episode description. Thanks again, and we'll meet in the next episode.